I want to look at uh, this uh, verse. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, a verse that we all know when we read it in uh, our Bible version, the church Bible version, it was look the Lamb of God, which means basically the same. Behold, to look upon the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Now, where do I put... Oh, that's it. Now, that's the reading. We've gone through that one already. I want us to try and uh, get a little bit of grasp about this statement in the background it came from, uh, in what purpose it was being said, and how the people would have understood what was being uh, said here. But first of all, the the place where John was preaching... uh, was quite north up uh, and near a place called uh, Bethabara, Bethabara uh, near the Sea of Galilee. I, I often think of it when I thought about it that it's probably somewhere down near Jerusalem, but it's not. It's quite a way up north there uh, where John was actually preaching and where he was baptising. Uh, and while he was speaking and he, he said this statement, Behold the Lamb of God, would like to think about who may have been there listening to it. They would have uh, been Israelites there and Jews, no doubt about that, uh, uh, listening to John as he uh, spoke and as he baptised. Possibly the scribes and Pharisees had come. Probably they were just being a little bit nosy and having a look at what was happening there. They may have possibly been the, the parts of the Roman uh, soldiers around there as they were there having a look at what was happening, at this guy who had got people coming out into the wilderness to listen. Uh, and due to its place with it being north up there, just below it is uh, Samaria. So there's possibly even Samaritans there, uh, a sort of semi-Jew there. Uh, possibly even other, other non-Jewish people, if they'd have come in from, uh, from the east, uh, travelled west uh, and possibly seen that. So there could have been a whole crowd of different types of people there that were that day when John said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the question is, how would people interpret that? What would it mean to the people there as they heard John say, Behold the Lamb of God, and pointed to this man that was walking towards and Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. We've gone over a slide. Let's go back. Now, to some, I'm sure there would have been a lot of confusion, just unsure about what this man was speaking about. To some, they may have thought he was speaking absolutely nonsense because it didn't seem to add up or, or to tie up. To some people, they may have had a dawning of understanding of what this was being said here. Hold on. Something's clicking home about what that man's saying. To some, it may have even caused a type of anger and a hatred. Just to uh, go through some of this, uh, of where... Uh, it was a statement that couldn't really be ignored because there was lots of ways that this could be looked at uh, and taken and understood. You see, behold, behold the lamb. What would some people have thought to that? The sacrificial animal that we have in our system here. This guy is speaking about it. And, well, can't you use a different animal? That is a, that's a precious animal to us. Don't just use the word about the lamb, the sacrificial animal. Don't use it like that. And others may have just thought, why call him a lamb? A lamb's just a dumb, silly, weak animal that runs off and gets lost and stuff like that. Why would you want to call somebody a lamb? Uh, And they may have caused confusion that way, but when he spoke of God, we seem to have a, a nice delay on here, some people may have thought, what are these claims here about this God? A man being a part of God, 
Wow, we can't have somebody speak about God like that. And there would have been some people there, maybe the very religious, that thought, we need to protect our God. We can't have somebody relating a man to, to, being, like, to being like our God. And again, the others, Romans or people that, like, like that, may have thought, well, what God are you on about here? There's that many, we've got no idea what you're talking about. And then when you mentioned the word sin, the sin, some may have realised and understand that there was a problem with sin and how sin affected them. Uh, uh, and wanted to listen more. And today this is the same thing that when you mention sin, some people say, how dare you mention that word? That's not a word we want to speak about over here. How dare you suggest that sinners? Me? No way. And then when he said that last word, part of it, the world, some may have thought, well, this man is speaking about me, if he's including everybody here. But there may have been those who stood there and thought, well, hold on. You can't include talking about God and include it with me, a Jew, and them Gentiles. No, no, we are far better than them. There could have been many, many reactions to this statement, many reactions. But, do you know what? They all had the opportunity to understand what this meant when they heard the phrase, Behold the Lamb of God. And why is that? Well, history showed them. If those people read the scriptures and understood their scriptures, they would have a great picture of when somebody mentioned the lamb of exactly what it was talking about. And they also had the opportunity to be able to find out. We think, well, the Romans might not have known, uh, and that could be true. But we do remember that when uh, the, the wise men came uh, to Herod, uh, and he came before them, he told the people, go and fetch those scriptures and see what it says. So they knew there was the scriptures and they knew there was something special about these. So all have had an opportunity to understand what this statement would mean. But as well also in a few short years, all of what John was saying about the Lamb of God was going to be confirmed to be absolutely true. Uh, and they would have a great understanding. Now, the next passage that was read was from Genesis chapter 3, uh, and it's a very uh, popular passage, uh, uh, a very well-known passage. Uh, there are verses that are often quoted from here, uh, quite a bit on various different things, but it's a passage about God dealing with Adam and Eve after they'd sinned. And in that verse 21, it says, towards the end of the passage we read, it says that Adam... For Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics or clothing of skin. And that is a very, a very important verse. Sometimes it's a verse that, when we go back to Genesis chapter 3, we so often quote verse 15. That seems to be the, the, the main verse in Genesis chapter 3 that we pick on. But verse 21 is also very important, that God did something for Adam and Eve. He clothed them with skins. And we see as we read the Old Testament and we look at it as a whole, that God is wanting to reveal to, to the people something about what was going to happen. And we know that time is when John the Baptist was speaking, but God had to reveal this plan carefully and slowly. So there we have that verse where he's talking about coverings. And uh, 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 Why were they given a, a covering? You see... Adam and Eve, it tells us earlier, that they had already made a covering for themselves out of leaves. They'd put stuff together to cover themselves up because they knew they were a problem. But God was not satisfied with that. And when God was dealing with Adam and Eve, he had to clothe them in the skin. 
And from this, we can read this and look that there was something more that needed covering than just their outward nakedness. Yes, then, outward nakedness had become a problem. But there was something deeper down, some bigger problem that needed sorting out. Uh, we, we see that the problem was there in Genesis 3, verse 7 to 10. It says, And the eyes of them were both open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed the fig leaves together. And then they heard the sound of God walking in the cool of the garden. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the, from the presence of the Lord. And God said, Where are you? Why are you hiding? And they said, Because we were afraid, and we were naked. They'd already closed themselves, but they were still afraid and naked. They had got shame, they had got guilt, and there was these problems of sin that had now come into their life, was not there before. And not only did they need an outward covering, but they needed an inward covering for this problem of sin that now had affected them. And God chose to clothe them with skin. We we don't read in this passage anything about where the skin came from, but we probably could make an educated guess, and I say this carefully, it can sometimes be wrong to try and second guess scripture. But when I look at what scripture teaches about sacrifice and various different things which we're going to look at more about soon, it's obvious that an animal has to die in the Old Testament times for the covering of sin. And I believe that an animal will have died in this situation to provide those skins. But also as the animal died, the blood would have been shed. Because Adam and Eve, they were told they would die, but they didn't die straight away. The bodies didn't die straight away. The souls did, but their bodies continued. And as the lamb, or I believe it would have been a lamb, yes, as that animal was killed, there was a sacrifice made there in the garden to cover the shame and the guilt that Adam and Eve had from the sin that they had caused, that they had done against God. And we might say, well, this is reading a little bit into this. And yes, it may be right, but there, there is times when we can look into Scripture and see things that are, are quite interesting. You see, if we look at verse 15, which is one of the verses that we, uh, which, uh, we often read, after God had spoken to Satan and he'd rebuked Satan, uh, he gave us that great promise that between her seed and his seed, and, but, and, yours, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. We know that speaking of a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. And after the rebuke of Satan, God reveals something, that there is a saviour yet to come. And doesn't it seem right that after he rebuked Adam and Eve, this is when he clothes them, that he gives them an insight about the saviour that is to come, the Lamb of God, that was taken away the sin of the world. And God here was starting to reveal to the human race that when sin happened, blood needed to be shed, an animal had to die. And so here we are teaching, being taught something about the lamb that was yet to come many years later. And we see as we look at this that this was not just a, a, a knee-jerk reaction by God when Adam and Eve sinned. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. This, what was starting to be revealed here, was something that God had planned before he made the world. 
So as we look through scripture, we're going to see that we are being taught here about the Lamb. So in this particular passage here, what do we learn about the Lamb? It tells that we, we learn that the way is planned by God. It wasn't Adam and Eve's way to kill a lamb. Their way was to cover themselves with the leaves. It's God's way that matters and it's God's plan. And that the lamb is slain to, wait, to take away our shame and guilt. So here in Genesis chapter 3, God is starting to reveal to people about the lamb and what it means. So people have opportunities to understand what this is. If we go on just over the page into the next chapter of chapter 4, we, we come to a story of Cain and Abel. And it said, In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. For, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So here in this passage we learn a few little things. First of all, in verse 4 we are told that when Abel brought the offering, he brought the firstborn of his flock. So we're now learning a little bit more. See, this is where we can start to look back and say, well, it probably would have been a lamb. It probably would have met all these criteria of the animal that died in the Garden of Eden because we can see the criteria that God requires for it. So one of the criteria of being later, it must be a firstborn. It teaches us it's not any lamb will do, but it has to be the best. Probably the most treasured, if you had a sheep and it had a lamb, the first one would probably be your most treasured one. Something of a type of value. This lamb had to be a special lamb, a certain type of lamb, and not any lamb would do. Now verse 7 also uh, teaches us something as well. In the version I've read it says, if you do uh, well, but in the NIV I think it probably renders it a lot better in the, at this particular point, if you do what is right. So when God spoke to Cain, he wouldn't just say try and do well, but he said if you do what is right, because the way that you have come to me is wrong. You must come the right way. So it's obvious that Abel knew what the right way was. He'd been taught that God in some way must have revealed to Adam and Eve that the right way was to come through the sacrifice of the lamb and not to do it your own way. And if you do what is right, then you will be accepted. And that teaches us that sin has got to be dealt with, but it must be dealt with in God's way. Not our way, not any way, but God's way. And if we try and do it our own way or a different way, then God is displeased with us. Sin can only be dealt with the way that God says it has to be dealt with. Uh, so there, if you come to God the right way, you will be accepted. Just as a, a note of interest here, we, we just were looking at Adam and Eve, and we noticed that Adam and Eve tried to clothe themselves with leaves, and God had to deal with the situation with the death of an animal. Here we see Cain making that same mistake. He's trying with the plants of the ground, and it's a mistake that can't be accepted. 
uh, and God only accepts the lamb. So we're being taught here some very straight things about the lamb and what is to be expected in the lamb that God wants us. So what are we taught about the lamb in this particular story? The lamb is of the firstborn. The lamb is the only way to come to God and trying a different way is displeasing to God. As we read through the Old Testament, these very simple stories, God is deliberately drip-feeding mankind bits and pieces about different things. And we're looking at the particular story of our redemption uh, uh, is, is, is happening now. The Lamb is being revealed to us here. You can do the same study on God revealing Himself and His attributes as you look through how God revealed Himself throughout the Old Testament. The, the next account we want to have a, a quick look at is another very familiar story. Uh, Abraham and Isaac from Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 to 13. We'll not read through the passage, but the, the passage goes on the way that uh, Abraham has been told by God that I want you to take your son Isaac, your only son, the one that I promised will be the, the father of many nations. I want you to take him, I want you to take him up Mount Moriah, and I want you to bind him up Put him on an altar and I want you to sacrifice Isaac to me. So Abraham says, okay God, if that's what you require, I'll do it. And he takes Isaac and off they go in and he's got young lad Isaac carrying the wood up the hill. And Isaac asks the question, Dad, we've got the wood, you've got the fire, where's the lamb? And Isaac says, don't worry about it son, God will provide a lamb. They're carrying up the mountain, they build the altar, put the wood on it. Abraham takes his son Isaac, binds him up, places him on the altar, takes out his knife to slay him, and just as about to slay him, an angel says, stop, don't go any further. Or the Lord speaks to him and says, stop, don't go any further. Spare the lad. And right behind there, there is a ram caught in the thickets by its horns, ready for Abraham to sacrifice. So what do we learn from this story? Do you know... The, the question in verse 8, where Isaac asks Abraham, where is the lamb? Do you know, we see something about Abraham here in the way he answers this question. We see a great insight into Abraham's understanding about God. Because Abraham turned around, and I don't know how he said this, whether he said it with a lump in his throat, a tear in his eye, or whether he said it in great belief. For it says, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And I look at that and I think, wow. How did Abraham know that? And how did he know to say it? Do you know, if I'd have said that to my son, I'd have said it because I'd have wanted to protect my son from the truth. And I'd have been saying, in a way, don't worry, it's going to be all right. We so often say that when people's got problems and we say, don't worry, I know it's going to turn out all right. When we've actually got no idea about it at all. But Abraham spoke this, and I believe he spoke it, he said it in truth. As though he'd got some insight. As though, well, I don't know. But Abraham certainly would not be used to a lamb just being appearing next to a sacrifice. We know Abraham made lots of sacrifices and we are led to presume from scripture that it was one of his lambs that he took to sacrifice. That would have been the normal way. And the more I thought about this, I thought, what faith this man had, what trust this man had in God to be able to actually start to go ahead with this 
and yet to be able to answer his son in such a a calm and real way. Maybe Abraham had just learnt to rely and trust in God so much. And he could trust God in every single way. You see, he knew the promises that God had given him to do with Isaac. He knew that God had promised that out of Isaac there would be a great nation and that the world would be blessed. That was a promise that Abraham was holding to. But with a situation like this before him, his faith and his trust in God does not add up with logic. It just doesn't work. But Abraham trusted God enough and thought if God is going to use Isaac, then for some reason God will not let me kill Isaac. Some people have said that Isaac would be raised up from the dead. I'm not sure I probably Abraham would have thought that far. That would have been something totally new, I think, at that time in Scripture. But he must have had some faith that God was doing something and that Isaac would not die in this situation. And he trusted God in every single way that he had. And that is a challenge for us in hard situations when we just think it's impossible for God to turn this round. And he'll have a way. But maybe Abraham also was a little bit smarter as well and maybe he understood the scriptures. There wasn't much of it. Maybe they were just uh, the stories that he'd heard from his forefathers. And maybe he could think back to that time in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve had sinned and they should have died when God, he told us that God clothed them when God provided a lamb so that they were spared. Maybe Abraham had a deeper insight into things than we have at times. And there are times when there are answers in Scripture and God is speaking to us and sometimes we just don't get it. But for some reason, Abraham trusted God. And that ram that was caught there, that was sacrificed in the place of as a substitute instead of Isaac. Verse 13 tells us it was a ram caught in the thicket. That's an, a new word that we've got about the lamb. What does a ram mean? Uh, a ram is a, uh, is a male, uncastrated sheep. So it means it's a, a sheep that's male, that's fully functional, fully working in every way. It's not been anything that's been sort of broken. So it is a healthy, right type of lamb. So out of this passage, what few facts have we learnt about the lamb? Told us here that the lamb is our substitute which will die in our place and the lamb is going to be provided by God. We also know that the lamb must be male and must be whole. And as we can see as we're moving through the scriptures, we're starting to build a picture up about what the lamb is going to be so when John said, Behold the Lamb of God, it was, should be clear if people knew their scriptures what John was talking about. Another story in Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 13, uh, about the Passover uh, and how the people had to prepare, prepare themselves for that tenth plague that was coming along. Uh, and how Moses told the people that 
on, on the first month, that was going to be the Nisan that was going to be their first month, on the tenth day, they had to take a lamb, they had to find a lamb that was pure and spotless and without blemish, and they had to bring that lamb into their house, and that lamb had to live with them for four days. After it had lived with them for four days, they were to slaughter that lamb, and when they slaughtered it, they were to put the blood around the doorpost, doorposts of the house. They were then to cook the lamb, they were to roast it, they had to eat the lamb, eat it all up. They must not break the bones of the lamb as they're preparing it. And if there's anything left over after they've been eaten as much as they can, they have to burn the rest. And they must be ready and stay in their house because that night the angel of death would pass over. And where the blood wasn't round the doorpost, the firstborn of that family would die. And if they were in the house with the blood round the door, then they wouldn't die. So when Abraham said, uh, when uh, God's Moses told the people here, it says, "The lamb shall be without blemish, and a male of the first year." We're building up. We now got the age of that. It is a young, strong, healthy lamb, not an old sheep at the end of its life. And they had to bring this lamb, which had to be a perfect lamb, into their house. Uh, and, and this, he had to dwell with them so that they could check it out. I wonder. What would have happened is that after you'd been in the house two days or something like that, they suddenly realised that, look at that lamb. It's got a real bad growth under its bite leg. It's not perfect. What should we do about it? Do you know, I don't think that would have happened, but what it tells us is that when they were told to go out and find the lamb on the tenth day of the month of Nisan, they had to take great and particular care to check that lamb that it was correct. They had to check out that lamb in every way. It wasn't a rush job. It wasn't something that, oh, we'll do that later, or anything will do. It was a job that was of absolute paramount importance, that they got that that lamb right. And it wasn't something to be left to the last minute. And they're the great lesson just in that as Christians and, uh, and even people who are, are reading the Bible, that it's not something that can be rushed and left to the last minute. It's something that we must put particular care and thought into to understand what the Bible teaches us. So they they find this lamb and the lamb must be perfect, male and in its prime and that is required to to live there amongst them. And then in verse 13 it says, When I see the blood I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you and I will strike the land of Egypt. So when they are in the house with the blood around the post they will be spared got a question for you. What do you think would have happened if one of the people had forgot to put the blood around the door? One of the Israelites. Would they have been scared, still spared from the judgment? After all, they were the Israelites. They were the underdogs. They were the ones born of Abraham. They, they were the ones that God was trying to rescue. They were the ones that God was caring for. If they just happened to forget to put the blood around the door, would they still be alright? The answer is No. And how many of us sometimes rely, well, I'm English, I've been born in a Christian country, I go to church, I'm in a Christian family. And sometimes we think that the, it does not matter. You must be in properly. But what about if an Egyptian saw all these nine plagues and thought, that God's a real God, and I just heard what Moses said to them, and I'm going to kill a lamb, bring one into my house, kill it, and put the blood around the door of my house. Do you think he'd have been spared, or do you think he would have died? I personally think he would have been spared because he'd have fulfilled what was required for him to live because God does not judge people on their race it's that they do what 
they're supposed to do. The, lamb of, the, the blood of the Lamb is the only way to escape from the wrath of the judgment of God. So what facts are we taught about the Lamb in this story? The Lamb must be a perfect male in its prime. And the Lamb's blood is the only way to escape the judgment of God. There's lots of other points from this particular passage that we could uh, bring about the lamb. Uh, some of them we will pick up later on. Some may be to take away for your own thought. Is that lamb, it will have to live amongst you. The lamb must be killed at twilight. The lamb's blood must, must be shed and put on the post. The lamb's bones must not be broken. The lamb creates the only safe place from the wrath that is to come. Under the covering of the lamb that provided an escape from death but it also meant Egypt was no longer their home and they had started the journey onto the promised land. Uh, the lamb that was eaten, so they were fed and prepared for what was ahead of them. The remains of the lamb had to be burnt. That's interesting. I thought about that. And it does tell us that the, when the Lord Jesus Christ, his body would not see corruption. And so this lamb must not see corruption either as well afterwards. And when you read about the real sacrifices that come later on in the the tabernacle, there's a lot of that that happens there. And I also think that would have been to help prevent idolatry. I wonder how many uh, lucky bones there would have been from the lambs hanging around. This is the one that we killed when we came out of Egypt. And it said, that was not happening. It, it should not happen. And there are certain people who collect bits of wood saying it's part of the cross as though it's some lucky charm. This was not to happen at all. God wasn't allowing that. Uh, and the lamb is the only provision to escape from the, the judgment of God. There are so much in that particular passage that we teach us about what we need to understand about the lamb. Just a couple more slides on things to do with the Old Testament and then we, we're going to move forward. So here we've got a picture of the tabernacle. This is a, a model of the tabernacle that's out uh, in the, the wilderness at the side of Israel there. Uh, and one thing that strikes us uh, or really struck me is the size of the brazen altar that's over there and as people come into the tabernacle the first thing they came to was that big altar that blood-stained altar that would have had seen many deaths on it uh, uh, to, I never realised until I looked at some of these models and worked out how big that altar was and as soon as you walk into the door of the tabernacle the first thing you saw was the altar uh, it's a bit of a close-up look at the size of the tools to get the impression of and the amount of sacrifices that would have happened on there. And another thing that happened when, at this time, when people brought their lamb uh, to be sacrificed, they would symbolically put their hand on the head of the lamb, and that would be a symbolic way of showing that their sins were being passed over. It was a symbolic way that their sins were being passed over to them, and then the lamb would die in their place. So if you read through the rest of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and look at the sacrifices, the amount that we can learn about the lamb and the sacrifice is absolutely... This, we wouldn't have time if we did a study on it over a few months to look at that. So when John said, Behold the Lamb of God, it might not at first stand out to us, but in that time and that era... To some of those people who were the religious people, that should have stood out like a sore thumb. Exactly what John the Baptist was saying. A few lamb facts that we've looked at here. The lamb is the way planned by God. The lamb is a firstborn. The lamb is the only way to come to God. The lamb is our substitute to die in our place. The lamb will be provided by God himself. The lamb must be a perfect male and in its prime. 
The lamb is the only way to escape the judgment of God. So those are some of the facts that we've just picked up already from those few stories that we looked at. So really, when John was speaking, John could have shouted out several things here. John could have shouted out, Behold the one who is pure and holy. Behold the one who takes our shame and guilt and sin away. Behold the one who is the only way to God. Behold the one provided by God to die in our place. Behold the one who takes the wrath of God on our behalf. There could have been lots of things that John could have said. And it was all summed up with that one statement. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So there we've been looking at the Lamb being revealed. For 4,000 years God was revealing about the Lamb and the sacrifice and everything that must happen for the, the Lamb to be fulfilled in every way. We're now beginning to move on to Jesus, the Lamb of God, uh, uh, and how we see so much of what we've learned here being, being fulfilled uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ, and how even if people had not understood that history, they were now going to have a second opportunity as Jesus was there to see that Jesus truly was the Lamb of God. Mary had a little lamb, a uh, bit of a tongue in cheek there, but sh- she did. Mary had a little lamb. It was the Lamb of God. And what do we know about this? The lamb was the plan of God. It was not something that Joseph and Mary had just planned as a story. And they had the help of a few shepherds and a wise man and a star that came out at night. This what was happening here when the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world. Was a plan that had been put together by God in the times of eternity. And it was now being executed exactly as God had laid down through the scriptures, what would happen. Right from the angels to Mary to Joseph and everything, God was executing everything perfectly. The lamb had been provided now by God, the only lamb that could do what the other lambs showed about through the Old Testament. God was the father of Jesus' son. God had provided himself through the son himself. The lamb was the firstborn. He was the firstborn of Mary. We know Mary was a virgin, so we know she definitely not had any other children. Jesus Christ was the firstborn. Uh, and then another interesting one here is that the lamb dwelt among them. It talked about this in the Passover, and it talks about uh, this in John's Gospel, chapter 1. But there are three ways that this particular phrase stands out because he dwelt amongst them as just as one of those people in his early life from from his birth to the age of 30 he just dwelt amongst them as a normal person then after that he dwelt amongst them as one sent from God uh, in his ministry years and then what we're going to look at in a little bit he, he dwelt among them as one being examined as a pure lamb of God as a Passover lamb ready to die. So that scripture is fulfilled in many ways about the Lamb with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to jump now from the birth of Jesus, we're going to jump to Jesus, our Passover Lamb, and we're going to see how many things tied up here. If you look into Jewish history, uh, and some of the things are very sketchy to find out, but it seems that round about this time in history when Jesus was around, it, it was very common that the Jewish people would have what they would call a national Passover lamb. And they would have this one particular lamb that, that was there sort of a... It was the model of what they were doing, reenacting some things uh, of, of the Passover. But they were doing it at a national level. Even though people would do it individually still, there was a national Passover lamb. 
there's various different sources for things of this uh, on the internet which I, I've been looking into. This is not scripture, but everything that we talk about here, you can see that the Jews would have done this because just looking at the scriptures and how they held on to their traditions and their religions. Uh, but all of this ties up from the story of Exodus and I want to see how the Lord Jesus Christ as well fits into all of this in the last week uh, of his life. So, first of all, what we think about uh, is uh, at the beginning of Passover week, just a second, at the beginning of Passover week, on the 10th of Nisan, uh, that was the day that God had told the, the Jews, uh, the Israelites that were in Egypt to, to choose a lamb. Uh, in Exodus 12:3, he said, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, O Israel, on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. It is said that on this day in, in the first century uh, of this time, that what the high priest would do, the high priest at that time would go outside Jerusalem uh, and he would, uh, I don't think he was someone that would select the lamb, but the lamb that had been selected to be the Passover lamb, he would then take this lamb and he would lead this lamb into the city of Jerusalem from the east and the lamb, with it being sort of like a bit of pomp and ceremony, the people would come and line the streets and welcome this national Passover lamb into the city as it came into the city. And they would sing there, uh, they would wave palm branches and they would sing psalms, uh, Psalm 118, particularly verses 25 and 26, saying, Save now, I pray, O Lord, O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they sort of have a lot of pomp and ceremony as this lamb with the high priest was led through the city of Jerusalem and then taken uh, to the temple. And as they took it to the temple, that was in a national way, the lightning of them taking the lamb into the house as it was there being taken into the temple. It just so happened that on the first day of the week, one that we often refer to as Palm Sunday, Jesus was entering into Jerusalem this same day on a donkey uh, we read in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 that rejoice greatly O daughter of Zion shout O daughter of Jerusalem behold your king is coming to you he is just and having salvation lonely and riding on a donkey a colt the fold of a donkey so just as the Passover lamb had gone in maybe behind it sometime later the Lord Jesus Christ on that Palm Sunday, which we know about and we remember it every year as Christians, he rode into the city of Jerusalem. And what do we see happening? The people waving the palm branches, the people singing their praises uh, and singing, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, which means deliver us, oh save us it means. And the people here who had witnessed Jesus in many ways continued their praise as Jesus rode into Jerusalem in that same way. Jesus here was following the path of the Passover lamb. The thing of the Passover lamb being brought in and Jesus straight after that, he went into the temple. Uh, and we know what happened there as Jesus turned over the temples and said, it is written, my house shall not be called uh, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. The Lord Jesus Christ the Passover lamb, the true Passover lamb of God had entered into Jerusalem and was now entering into the temple. Uh, 
The, the, the removal of the thieves is often likened to during this time as well. The Israelites had to remove all leaven from their house at this time of this feast. Uh, and that was likened unto that when Jesus removed the sin out of the temple. And the, the national Passover lamb apparently then is left in the temple for four days. As the lamb was in the house of four days. Uh, and while it was there, it was in public view, so anybody who wanted to could come along and inspect this lamb to make sure it was pure and without blemish. What do we find happens over the next four days after Jesus had gone down to Jerusalem for this Passover? Jesus spends the next four days, as you read it through the Gospels, he spends the next four days in the temple, talking with the people, teaching with the people, disputing with the people, with the scribes and Pharisees who were often wanting to try and trick him out uh, and they were often trying to confront him. And could they find anything wrong with Jesus? Could they find any mark, any sin, or anything that didn't live up to what it needed to? Not at all. At the end of these four days, the Lord Jesus Christ was taken before Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate looked at him and in John chapter 18... Verse 38 says, I find no fault in him at all. Jesus Christ, after his four days of being inspected, was proved and found to be the true Lamb of God, without sin, without blemish. The Jews had tried him, they found nothing wrong with him. The Romans had tried him, they found nothing wrong with him. Even Judas Iscariot said, I have betrayed an innocent man. Jesus was truly pure and without blemish in every way. On the 14th, the national Passover lamb was taken in the temple, grabbed hold of in the temple, and it was bound up. And they bound it to the altar. Whether it was on the altar or to the side of the altar, I don't know. But they say at the 9 o'clock in the morning, that lamb was then prepared to be slaughtered later on in that day, on the 14th of Nisan. It so happened on the 14th of Nisan that the Lord Jesus Christ was taken at nine o'clock into the morning and bound to the cross. Tell us that in Mark chapter 15 verse 25. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him. As he said, the day moved on that particular day. The national Passover lamb was sacrificed. On the 14th day of Nisan, the Passover lamb was taken. And it was about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. We work that out. It often refers to the phrase as the twain of the evening, or between the evenings. They measured their evenings in very different ways, and their evening time was measured from between noon and 6 p.m. That was the evening. And they had a, a minor evening from 12 till 3 and then 3 till 6pm they had the major evening so between the evenings was when the, the high priest would kill the Passover lamb and as the high priest at about 3pm in the afternoon killed that, high, killed, that, killed that Passover lamb that national Passover lamb he would shout out a word Tetelestai it so happened that at 3pm that the Lord Jesus Christ won that cross it says in Luke chapter 23 verse 44 Now it was the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened and the veil in the temple was torn in two. When Jesus had cried out with a loud voice he said Father into my hands I commit my spirit. 
Having said this, he breathed his last. That ninth hour is 3 p.m. in the afternoon through Roman times to our times. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, John chapter 19, verse 30. It tells that Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Tetelestai. What does Tetelestai mean? Tetelestai is the Greek word that is translated, it is finished. It is finished. The word Tetelestai had many different meanings of how it could be translated. First of all, the, the translation can be when somebody shouts out the word Tetelestai means the job you gave me is finished. It was often used when a servant would report to his master upon completing a task. It was also another word that meant the debt is finished. Apparently ancient receipts for taxes have been found with the word tetelestai, paid in full, written across them. It's also a word that is shouted out when a lamb was being searched for, a lamb for sacrifice in the temple, and when they found the right lamb in the flock. The person who was found looking for that unblemished lamb would shout out the word tetelestai, meaning the job was finished. When the Lord Jesus Christ cried that out on the cross, he quite literally was saying, the work you gave me is completed, the debt is paid, the sacrificial lamb is found. Everything that God has shown us about the lamb through the Old Testament, and we've only just looked at a few things this afternoon, are fulfilled fully and in every single way in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that was represented by the millions of lambs that had been slain on the altars of Israel are completed in the Lord Jesus Christ. In themselves, they did not think they were the sign, but they were fully completed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything from the future onwards depends on what people do with the Lord Jesus Christ. We do know, and that's why we're here today, that the Lord Jesus Christ didn't stay dead. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ, three days later, was raised from the dead. And you know what? The Lord Jesus Christ still continues to be the Lamb that was slain. The Lamb of God is from everlasting to everlasting the plan of the Lamb started before the world began. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 19 But with the precious blood of Christ as of a Lamb without blemish and without spot He indeed was ordained before the foundation of the world. The plan was put into action at the foundations of the world. Revelation chapter 13 8 All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of the life of Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. The plan of the Lamb was revealed over 4,000 years as you look through the Old Testament, so that we would know and truly be able to recognise the Lamb of God when he was sent into the world. The Lamb of God, uh, the plan was executed flawlessly, in Genesis chapter 4 verse 4 it tells when the fullness of time had come God sent his son born of a woman, born under law. In the fullness of time, the exact time when God had preordained it it was all unreal. 
Do you know the plan of the Lamb? It is finished and complete. And the plan of the Lamb will be remembered throughout all eternity. There is some verses from Revelations. Revelations chapter 5, uh, just a few verses. It says, I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Four living creatures and twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying blessings and honour and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever the Lamb is something of all time when John said behold the Lamb of God it was not just a statement when the Lord Jesus Christ was starting his ministry It was a statement from before the foundation of the world and it's a statement that is relevant to us all today. Our responses to the Lamb. There's just two thoughts here. Let us behold the Lamb. Admiring Him for redemption's work that He has done. Let us admire the Lord Jesus Christ. Look upon Him with fondness Look upon him with with thankfulness because he came into the world and he died in our place. He took that covering from sin. He took that punishment of sin. He took the wrath of God. He took it all. He was truly the Lamb of God. And let us behold the Lamb declaring him as one who is able to redeem. So as we look upon the Lamb and admire him we also turn and we behold the Lamb to those that all may know the Lamb and come to the Lamb and be brought under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that all may be saved and escape the wrath and the judgment of God that is to come that will be put on all sin.